det er så mye som sies om Midtøsten at jeg bestemte meg for å reise ned hit for å oppleve det selv. Og Israel er et sammensatt, mangfoldig og bemerkelsesverdig land. En smeltedigel mellom øst og vest. Her er det kristne, jøder og arabere som lever sammen i et demokrati som er over 60 år gammelt. Dette skal bli veldig spennende. Over den vakre byen Jerusalem hviler en bemerkelsesverdig og uventet fred, hvor vi en går treffer vi arabere, jøder og andre som om hverandre ønsker oss velkommen og forteller med stolthet om deres hjemland. Det er jo dette som var det tradisjonelle Midtøsten, der disse gruppene levde sammen i relativ fred i hundrevis av år. I dag skal vi snakke med en av Midtøstens eksperter om alt fra Hamas til den tidvis unyanserte fremstillingen av det liberale, frisinnede demokratiet Israel. Det er en interessant ting å komme til Jerusalem og til Israel, for når du kommer her, ser du den diversiteten, den arabfuden, den jødiske kvartet, den kristne kvartet. Uh, and it's all so different from the impression we get of Israel uh, in the West and especially in Europe. How is that? Well, uh, what you're seeing is Israel as it is and not the, uh, the descriptions of Israel that are in the press and, and, and given by other people who have you know, very nasty ideas about what they would like to do to Israel. Um, Israel is a very diverse country. It has uh, a population uh, from all corners of the earth. The Jewish population, for instance, is not mostly European. In fact, most Jews in Israel, most Israeli Jews, are from North Africa, the Middle East, uh, and Asia. And uh, a little bit under 50% of the Israeli Jewish population is European. Um, and if you, then you have the Arab population, and the Arab population is extremely diverse between uh, mostly Muslim, but even you know, Christians as well as Druze. Um, there's a very large Bedouin population, which is different than the settled um, Arab population. It's a very diverse country. And uh, of course, you know, tourists from every country in the world come and visit. And we see the distances between the places are so short as well, between Tel Aviv and Jerusalem, just an hour's drive up to the Galilee. I understand you live in the Galilee. I How is that? Galilee. I love the Galilee. It's, it's wide open space. It's very diverse. 50% um, Jewish, 50% Arab, um, and very diverse populations within each of those populations. When we look at the UN uh, and, the, and its treatment of Israel, 
And when we see, I think these are figures from 2012 saying 266 condemnations against Israel, mm -hmm. it seems to be such a high number. Why the interest in Israel? Right. Well, first of all, the United Nations is not an impartial body. It is a, it is a council of 193 nation states, um, and therefore it is a political body. As a political body, it, uh, it has blocks. Um, it has uh, the non-aligned nations, um, the European bloc. Um, it has the, the, the free nations, the modern democracies. But there's also a very large uh, block of 57 countries, the Organization of Islamic Conferences uh, has 57 states. The League of Arab Nations has 22 states. And these are very powerful blocks um, that pulls in allies uh, from other countries. And what they do is they gang up on Israel and pass resolutions. Um, and most of these countries are not democracies. Most of these countries are dictatorships, are their monarchies, um, their one-man rule, um, and it is, these are countries which have abominable human rights records passing judgment on Israel. Um, and it is highly politicized, and that is the problem with the United Nations. When one considers that Israel is a nation uh, of the Jews, uh, basically, and this is an ethnic group, and when you see the Arab nations in the UN uh, passing and engaging in passing resolutions against Israel as an ethnic group, one has to say, it's worrying because uh, we need the diversity in the world. And when we look at ISIS in Syria today and, and the Sunni Jihadi groups and the lack of tolerance, it's worrying to us as Europeans too, because although we're not Jews, we're also non-Muslims, and we would like to be accepted too. Yeah, I think, well, there, there are a lot of issues there. Um, what we're seeing today with uh, uh, the rise in ISIS, the rise in, in other jihadi terrorist organizations, Hezbollah, Hamas, Islamic Jihad, the, the al-Nusra front and so on. Um, this radical Islamist jihadi ideology is in the 21st century what communism and fascism was in the 20th century. It is an ideology. It is not a religion. It is not the religion of Islam. It is a very specific ideology. There are different shades of this ideology, just like communism had different varieties of communism, whether it's Stalinism or Maoism or Trotskyism. You have different types of Islamism today. And these radical Islamist movements are a major threat to liberal democratic societies, whether in Europe, the United States, or the Tigers in, in, in Asia. And the sooner the West wakes up and understands that radical Islamism aims to destroy liberal democracies, that this is their goal, this is their, this is their dream, um, the better off it will all be.
Det han sier er at den muslimske radikalismen faktisk er en politisk ideologi. Det er ikke det samme som tradisjonell islam. I en unyansert vestlig presse fremstilles islam stadig som om hele religionen til 1,2 milliarder mennesker er ensbetydende med terror. Og vi forstår ikke fortvilsen som er så stor blant mange vanlige muslimer nettopp over ekstremismen. Jeg tenker på alt dette mens vi går til en arabisk restaurant for å spise. Og som født og oppvokst i Afrika elsker jeg denne maten, denne kulturen, stemningen og den arabiske musikken. Nå deltar jeg på kjøkkenet, på et arabisk kjøkken, og driver og lager arabisk mat. Og da skal vi blant annet, en av ingrediensene er sitroner. Africa amongst Muslims and had uh, so many wonderful childhood memories from that yeah. time but also in Africa it is true that especially the Sunni Wahhabi movement has the past 20 years financed so much wonderful mosques and funded a lot of things so that when today you speak to Muslims in Africa they openly say that it's hard to say much because I pray in a beautiful mosque and it's been given to us. So, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And when thinking about the Gazan people uh, who are ruled by Hamas, why doesn't the people themselves react and stand up against uh, an organization that, uh, from what we hear, uses uh, humans as shields in the conflict. In, in the Gaza that is ruled by Hamas, Hamas has to be seen as a, a, a movement that is akin to you know, communism or fascism, totalitarian movement that brooks no dissent whatsoever that does not tolerate anybody speaking out or criticizing them. Palestinians in Gaza who have spoken out against Hamas quickly find themselves arrested or shot. And so there's a real fear in Gaza of Hamas. On top of that, you know, Palestinians in Gaza are loyal to their cause and they see Hamas as a resistance movement. So many Palestinians do support Hamas um, and would like Hamas to be victorious. They would like Hamas to take over um, all of Israel, convert it into an Islamic state, which is part of the Hamas charter. That's the Hamas goal. 
and to turn Palestine from the river to the sea into an Islamic state. There was, not a, there was a time not long ago when there was no fence around Gaza, when Israelis and Gazans used to cross into each other's territory freely on a daily basis. There was a time not long ago when about 200,000 Gazans used to come into Israel every single day to work. And Israelis used to go to Gaza City or to Khan Yunis to go shopping, to, to sit in the cafes, to eat shawarma and, and, and so on. Those days are gone. And as long as Hamas sits in Gaza and controls Gaza, it will remain a place of great tension and an occasional conflict every two years, every three years. We've seen since 2008, 2009, since that time, we've seen three wars between Israel and Hamas in Gaza. And the horrible tragedy is that we left Gaza in 2005. We, we took everything out of Gaza. We took out the Israeli army. We took out every settler. We took out everything that was Israeli that was in Gaza. We left. And we left it to the Gazans. said, here you go. Jewish philanthropists from overseas gave millions of dollars to buy the, the large number of greenhouses, state-of-the-art greenhouses that were in Gaza, and gave it to the Palestinians. Within an hour after the Israeli left, within an hour, the Palestinians destroyed those greenhouses. Those greenhouses could have been the core of an industry that would have helped Gaza and, be, and helped the Gazan economy. The tragedy of Gaza is when Hamas takes millions of pounds, hundreds of thousands of tons of concrete doesn't build schools within, doesn't build hospitals, doesn't build orphanages, but uses that concrete to build tunnels to go under the border to, so that they're able to launch terrorist attacks. Hundreds of millions of dollars that should have gone to aid to help the Palestinian residents of Gaza went to militarize Gaza, to turn it into a terrorist base to be used against Israeli civilians. It makes you wonder uh, what is in the heart of leaders that use their own people uh, for such means instead of protecting their lives. Yeah. It gets to the heart of um, the Hamas ideology. And the Hamas ideology is really uh, based on Muslim Brotherhood ideology. Hamas is, in fact, the Muslim Brotherhood in the Palestinian areas. It is a branch of the Muslim Brotherhood. The Muslim Brotherhood has raised martyrdom to the highest level of love of God. You don't, you don't need 100,000 people willing to commit martyrdom. All you need is, you just need 10 people, you just need 20 people who will, who will go on top of a roof and you know, wave to the Israeli pilots, we're here to deter an Israeli strike on a building. Unfortunately, in the West, we seem to also have uh, people who sympathize with uh, totalitarian ideologies. And in a country like Norway, we have, for example, Mr. Mats Gilbert, who is a Norwegian doctor uh, who works closely with the Hamas. And uh, this summer, Finnish TV documented how from the rooftop of the precise hospital in which he works in Gaza, during the night time, Hamas was sending up the rockets. 
And interestingly enough, when he tried to enter Gaza uh, through Israel, he mm -hmm. was refused to do so. And when he tried to do so uh, through Egypt, he was also an unwanted person in Egypt. And what does this collaboration with Egypt mean to Israel? As it seems that Israel is working with, with, together with Egypt in order to eliminate a number of these Islamists that are threats to Egypt as well. It's no mistake that there's a, uh, there's a um, coincidence of interest between Israel and Egypt to clip the wings of the Muslim Brotherhood. Hamas is part of the Muslim Brotherhood. The Muslim Brotherhood took over Egypt. After the, uh, after the Arab Spring. And um, al-Sisi, who's really an Arab nationalist, a secularist, um, he and the, the military deposed the, the Muslim Brotherhood. They did not want to see Egypt become an Islamic state. The Muslim Brotherhood is a very dangerous movement. It's, it's fundamentally anti-democratic and fundamentally anti-human rights. And, and, and the ideology is as radical as I discussed. There are people who look at democracy and they want to destroy it. And it can be communists, it can be fascists, it can be Islamists. Um, it is not surprising that Mads Gilbert was a member of the Communist Party in Norway. Okay? And it's not surprising that a person with a totalitarian mindset would come out in support of the 9-11 attacks on the United States. And then turns around and comes out in support of Hamas, another totalitarian movement. It's, it's, a, it's a mindset um, that has to be guarded against by anybody and everybody who believes in open, liberal, democratic societies, um, which must be defended every moment against those who would undermine and destroy democracy. Democracy is a mess, okay? But as Winston Churchill, I think he said, uh, democracy is the worst system in the world except for all the rest. Jeg tenker på raseorientert Europa som så effektivt satte ondskapen mot andre i system under andre verdenskrig. Det er bare noen tiår siden, og vi prekes fortsatt av sterke sosialistiske ideologier, de samme som definerte førkrigstiden. Nazi er forkortelsen for nasjonal sosialistisk arbeiderparti. Nazismen var venstreekstrem, ikke høyreekstrem, som enkelte hevder. Respekten for at vi er forskjellige er viktigere enn noen gang å opprettholde. To what degree do you see the conflicts in the Middle East uh, as a religious issue? Um, most of the Arab leaders of the 20th century were nationalists. Gamal Abdel Nasser, um, Khad Jamin al-Husseini, uh, Muammar Gaddafi, and so on. But Arab nationalism never really took hold very deeply in the Arab masses. Um, and, and Arab nationalism 
really began to uh, disintegrate as a, as, a, as, a, as a hub of identification for, for the Arab peoples sometime after 1967. It was at that time when Islamism, which had been around already since 1928 in the form of the Muslim Brotherhood, um, it was at that point where Islamism really began to assert itself more. What we're seeing today, we're seeing a resurgent Persian nationalism that is fueled by radical Islamism of the Shiite variety, um, that's drawing on Persian history of the great Persian empires that existed in antiquity with a vision of reestablishing a Persian empire with a Shiite um, um, arch over it. There seems to be such, uh, when you, pre you speak on a private level, such a frustration amongst so many Muslims. Mm -hmm over the Islamism. They right. say that we used to live together peacefully. Islam is a civilization in crisis at the moment. Um, it is a fact that most Muslims that have died since 1945, or since 1948, if you want to use that as a benchmark, um, some 11 million Muslims have been killed in conflicts since that time, most of them killed by other Muslims. And we've seen, uh, certainly in Iraq and Syria, but elsewhere as well, um, a horrific movement that is not only anti-Western, but it's also eating its own. The tumult that we see in Islam today is, in its own way, very similar to the tumult that we saw in Europe in the 19th century and the 20th century, when traditional European societies confronted modernity, when barriers began to fall between uh, religions, between ethnicities, um, when the idea of liberal democratic values began to take hold in Europe, the traditionalists, the monarchists, the churches um, rose up against that. And we're seeing something similar today in the Arab Islamic world where Islam is being confronted by modernity um, there's a demand in the Arab street for liberalism, for democracy. We saw that in, in, in Egypt, in Tahrir Square. We've seen it in Iran. We've seen it elsewhere. And the traditionalists, the religionists, the kings, the dictators are opposed to it. And what is being unleashed is a counter-revolution a counter against liberalization in the Arab and Muslim worlds. Yes. But there is a question still, because in Europe as well, many leading uh, writers uh, question in the paper saying, where are the moderate Muslims? Why do we hear so little? Is it out of fear that we don't get to hear even the European Muslims, uh, even the European Imams? The silence from them is so... Large. I, I, I don't have, an, I don't think there's any single answer to that. Um, there are Muslims who do speak out, um, Muslim leaders. There are a few who have the strength to say, no, this is not the way, this is destructive, 
and, and, and we have to learn to live in the world as it is. A lot of Muslim leaders themselves, who somehow are seen as being moderate, they're in many ways just as fundamentalist as the jihadis. They're not telling people to strap bombs to themselves, but they're not opposing it either. And, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that the West is much too dependent on petroleum coming from this region. Um, the absurdity of Qatar funding Hamas, funding Al Jazeera, participating in a uh, conflict here in uh, this past summer, Israel and the Gaza against, you know, with Hamas and supporting Hamas, and actually uh, making the conflict worse. In the United States, a superpowers, unable to rein in Qatar, in fact, going to Qatar and trying to make uh, peace with Hamas, it says everything. Um, the U.S. is dependent on Qatari oil to some degree, but also the, the, the uh, military bases in Qatar uh, that the United States has makes the United States overly dependent on this tiny, oil-rich country that's run by a monarch. Another part of the issue, I think, and I, to get back to this, uh, especially in, in, in Western Europe, um, the, the idea of decolonization. Because there is a guilt of what previous generations of Europeans had done uh, in Africa, in Asia, in the Third World, um, that there is a identification somehow of Israel as being part of the colonization process that the Europeans under underwent in the uh, 19th, 20th centuries. It's a, it's a, and as I said before, it, it, is, it is a mistake to think of Zionism in those terms because the Jews in Europe were a colonized people. And the genocide that took place against the Jews in the 20th century was a direct result of that colonization. And the Europeans have forgotten that. They don't want to see that. Um, most Jews, of course, in Europe were white. That did not save their lives. They were categorized as an inferior race and were sent to the death camps, six million. And that, it's that colonization, internal colonization, Zionism was a response to that. And the response was, we have to leave Europe because Europe is going to destroy us. And Europe did destroy the Jewish people. Um, now, there's a similar process in the Arab world. One of the, one of the things that we hear often coming from Arab propagandists is that Jews are not really Semites, that they are Khazars, that Jews are, don't belong in the Middle East because they're not racially um, Semitic. The Jews don't belong in the Middle East because they are not racially Semitic. And this is just another side of the national socialist coin. It's the same argument. For the Europeans, the Jews were not European enough. And for some Arabs, the Jews are not Semitic enough. Or we ask, stop trying to identify us. Stop trying to define who we are. We have the right as a people to define ourselves. That's what Zionism is about. The right to self-identification, self-determination.
tänker på vilka möjligheter som ligger så öppen till landet Israel till växt och framgång och samhandling också med de andra folkeslagen som bor här i allt från ökenlandskapen till fjällformation och de vackra stränderna vid kusten är er den fascinerande skönhet. Jag förstår gott att många slår sig ner här i detta varme behagliga klima med en så spännande kultur.